Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at RenewSanDiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon a tanner. The word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. May the thoughts of our minds and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God. Amen. Um, although your bulletin says a sermon by Pastor Matt Nall, I, I need to introduce myself. I am Greg Ellert. I am the substitute preacher today, and we are going to take things further in uh, the book of Acts, um, in some ways further, but in some ways not further. Let's, let's look at a couple things in Acts. First of all, Acts is written by Luke. Luke is the one who wrote the gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. So this is really kind of Luke part two. And Luke has done all of this research, all of these interviews, all of these conversations to look at what really was happening and what was really going on as Jesus was walking the earth, after he died, after he rose, and in the life of the early church. And these stories on, on, sometimes just seem so over the top. How can it be? If you encounter Je when we encounter Jesus, it is very common for us to think, how can this be? In fact, on the one hand, Jesus is so approachable, so human, so normal. And yet to get in proximity to him is to have your life and your your perspective just absolutely blown out of the water. And Luke is chronicling all that is going on. Last week, Pastor Matt preached uh, from Acts chapter 10. You'll remember the story. That's where Peter is actually at uh, Simon the Tanner's place. There's this contingent that comes from uh, Cornelius, who is a Roman uh, centurion, a Roman soldier, basically. And Peter goes to basically this Gentile 
And the Holy Spirit comes upon this man and his family and his friends and absolutely blows the doors wide open of inclusion of who now can be a part of the kingdom of God. In fact, it was so mind-blowing that the, the original kind of disciples that were up in Jerusalem needed to hear from Peter in person just to confirm that this had happened. It was so over the top. The Holy Spirit is doing wild things, amazing things, bringing renewal and life uh, to the world through those who are following him. God is breaking through and he's breaking down barriers that were cultural, social, and religious in their day. So what we learned last week cannot be overstated. The Spirit is on the move. Okay. Now remember, he's doing this through who? Through Peter. Peter is such a gift to us, right? Because Peter is the guy that doesn't have it all together. Peter is the guy where Jesus responded at one point to say, get behind me, Satan. Not necessarily the greatest compliment in the moment as you're trying to follow uh, a rabbi. Or um, don't wash my feet, Peter says, when Jesus is trying to wash everyone's feet the night that he was betrayed. To which Jesus replies, unless I wash all of you, you have no part of my, your feet, I, you have no part of me. And, G and then that, at that point, uh, Peter says, wash all of me then. Or Peter's the one who says, I'm going to go all the way for you. And Jesus says, no, no, actually you're going to deny me three times. <laughs> and when you hear the rooster crow, you're going to know. Peter is a man who was passionate for Jesus, but had a strong underappreciation for how his flesh and just his humanity will take over in times of challenge. Peter didn't really know yet what it was like to rely on Jesus. But once the Spirit comes in early Acts, we see Peter with great boldness. We see him with great articulation as he stands up to the religious leaders and the authorities and tells them the truth about who Jesus is and what has happened. So, today... We're going to actually look at two little uh, stories that precede uh, what we saw last week. And you'll be happy to know that chapter 10 is indeed preceded by chapter 9. So we're going to take chapter 9, the very end there, and look at what happened. You will remember, the beginning of chapter 9 is when Saul is converted. It's an incredible story. Saul is the religious Jewish leader who is persecuting Christians. He's been killing Christians. He's the one that was overseeing Stephen when he was stoned earlier in the book of Acts. In early chapter 9, Saul goes blind. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And we realize that Ananias, a, a, a follower of Jesus, is called by God to come and speak over Saul. Scales fall from Saul's eyes and he sees for the first time the reality of who Jesus is. And he now becomes unstoppable, not in stopping Christians, but, in, but spreading the good news of the Christian gospel. So, there are two stories that bridge between Saul's conversion and the story we heard last week. And those two stories, those little stories, are of Aeneas and Tabitha. Now, the Greek name for Tabitha is Dorcas. I like the word Tabitha better, so we're going with that today. But if you like Dorcas better, you can use that word as well. It's all good. All right. So let's set the scene. 
persecution's been happening in Jerusalem. We've already seen that. Saul was persecuting the Christians. Other Jewish religious leaders were uh, persecuting Christians. Even um, Rome was persecuting Christians. And so Christians were fleeing Jerusalem to other parts of Judea, other parts even of Samaria, different parts in that, what we would now call Israel, Palestine. So these Christians are in these towns and they're trying to make sense of their faith. They're trying to follow Jesus. And Peter is now walking from town to town, checking in with these Christian communities, doing ministry. He's checking in to see how the leaders are doing. He's checking in to see how the cop, just the common, uh, well, you wouldn't call it churchgoer, follower, home gatherers is, is uh, maybe the right term for it. So it says Peter is visiting these different places, and he comes to a place called Lydda or Lydda. And there's this man named Aeneas, and he's been paralyzed for eight years. So he's a man, and he's been paralyzed for eight years. So he probably wasn't born paralyzed. Maybe there's been an accident. Maybe there's a disease. We're not told. But we know that he's been paralyzed for eight years. And so the Christians that are there come to Peter. And, they, and they, introduce, uh, they introduce Peter to this man. And Peter just comes right up to this man and says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make the bed for yourself. In other words, you don't have to make, nobody has to make a bed for you anymore. You get to make your own bed. That's what it says right there. Jesus Christ is the one who heals you. Now remember, Names in Hebrew always have meaning, right? What is the name of Jesus? It means the Lord saves. The Lord is the one who brings new life. He's the light of the world. He's the one who saves. Christ isn't a last name like Smith or Johnson or something like that. It's a title. It means anointed one. It means promised one. It means Messiah. Jesus, the Lord saves, the promised one is the one who heals you. Peter understood and not only did he understand but he stood under it and his trust in Jesus the one who saves the promised one heals this paralytic just like that in the moment that was the level of Peter's trust in Christ's goodness and his power if you're familiar with the gospels this story actually mirrors a little bit the, the healing that Jesus did of the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. Looking directly at the man and says, pick up your mat and walk. I heal you. I, 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 you are healed and you can now walk. These gospels are not being read by the, the early church. Um, some of them, the, the gospels are in the process of even being written at the time. But these stories are going around with the, within the church. And there were many hearers who may remember that story of Jesus healing the paralytic. So it says, all those inhabiting Lydda and Sharon, another city close to a town, saw him. They saw the healed man. And it says they turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord because they saw this man who had been paralyzed being able to walk. People won't tell you usually, but I've been watching people for a long time, and I've noticed something. People watch other people all the time. People are looking at your life, my life, the lives of others, 
always working out. What's that person about? What's going on with that? Could it really be? Imagine these relatively tight-knit communities, knowing of, of a person almost a decade long being paralyzed, and now this person can walk. They've turned to the Lord, and people have noticed. They're always looking. People are always looking. I believe it, whether they know it or not, in their heart of hearts, in the depths of their souls, they want to see examples of, of is God really true? Is Jesus really the one? And so that's what we see happening here. So we expound that to get to our main story today, and it's the story of Tabitha. Joppa is a little bit further north and a little bit further west than Lydda from Jerusalem. It's about 10 miles away. Joppa is modern-day Tel Aviv. And if you've been through that city, oh my goodness, what an amazing place. Right on the Mediterranean, so much history. But that's, this, that's where Joppa, that's where this takes place. And it says that there's a disciple. Uh, the Hebrew there would be a Talmida, which would be a female disciple. A disciple who is following Jesus. Um, her name, Tabitha, actually means gazelle. I love that. Beauty, nimbleness, uh, swift of foot, but something to behold, Tabitha. Tabitha is a tour de force in this little community. The scripture says that she's abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. And we can only imagine what some of that might be. In the Jewish tradition, there is this thing called tzedakah, tzedakah, which means righteousness, fairness, justice. And even if you were a person of little to no means at all, if you were adhering to Jewish law, you would be a person who would be seeking to do things, acts of kindness and charity to those around you who were in need. We don't know what Tabitha's status was in her, in her town, but we do know that she was practicing tzedakah. She, know, she knew God and she loved Jesus. She was a follower of Jesus and she was doing acts of kindness and charity to those who were in need around her. A little bit later in the story, we get to see what some of that is. But it says things go badly. She falls sick and she dies. They wash her body. They lay her in an upper room. Now, if you're not familiar with the, the Christian story, earlier in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples where? In what is called the upper room. This is a place in Jerusalem. Some today think it was maybe associated with where King David's temple was and all, anyway, all of these things. So this upper room is a place where the spirit had come in power and in truth. And this woman had been ceremonially washed because she was dead. Now, something quickly to say about first century people. First century people are people just like us who just lived uh, 2,000 years ago. They're actually not all that much different than us. Um, some might say, well, you know, maybe Tabitha wasn't really dead. If there's a group of people who aren't sure about death, it's probably more our generation than their generation. Death was a commonplace reality in your life. It would, it would touch your life closely. Um, I was just uh, yesterday up at the Prince of Peace Abbey Monastery in Oceanside, and they have, a, they have uh, tombstones of some of the brothers who've died there over the years, right next to where the sanctuary is. 
many of our churches used to be built that way where the, where the uh, cemetery was surrounding the church. You'd remember those who had gone before you. These are people who were familiar with death. They knew what it was like. They knew what it looked like. They knew what it smelled like. They knew it closely. There's no question that she had died. They, she had been washed ceremonially and she'd been left in the upper room. Now, it says, since Lydda was relatively close to Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. So the disciples in Joppa had heard that Peter was in Lydda, and they went imploring him. They sent a couple of guys, do not delay in coming to us. When I first read this, I thought, what, to pray over her? Maybe to say some last rites? To oversee the burial? I'm not sure what it's all going to be about. No, no. The word was out that Peter was on the move. He had done these healings and they wanted him to come to hopefully pray for her and see what God would do. So it says Peter rose and he went. He was taken to the upper room. And then it says the widows were all there weeping and showing all that she had made. These widows that were there grieving who had prepared the body and all. These were the widows who were very likely the very recipients of all of the good works that Tabitha had done. They were showing off the clothing that Tabitha had made for them. All the gifts that they had received. Because see, if you were a widow in the first century, you were in one of the most vulnerable economic and social positions you could be. It was not a good place to be. You were very close to poverty. And, and so... Tabitha had been blessing these women with her kind deeds and works and acts of charity for them. And now they're showing Peter. Look at, all, look at how great Tabitha was, the gazelle. We miss her so much. She died too young. So instead of Peter consoling them, which I probably would have tried to do in my pastoral sensibilities, he sent them out. Get out of here. <laughs> Move. He knew what to do. He gets alone with Tabitha's body. And look at this fourfold thing that happens. I, I, I didn't see it at first and needed to see it as it kind of popped off the page as I looked at it a few more times. It says Peter knelt by the body. Kneeling is a posture of humility and of submission. Remember, Peter, I'm going to the death for you. Remember Peter stepping up and saying, no, 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 you can't, you can't wash my feet. This, this kind of reactive, enthusiastic, inspirational, intense, kind of spur of the moment Peter, he kneels. He's calm. He's submitted and humble. Second, he prayed. It doesn't say what he prayed, but it says that he prayed. He is now in a posture of full reliance upon God. But not in a passive way, in a responsive, hope-filled way, in an expectant way. In this spirit-empowered, let's see what you want to do way. I am your agent, Jesus. What do you want to do with Tabitha? Now, I think in his kneeling and his praying, he is aligning himself in the spirit. To, to get confirmation from the Spirit that, yep, this is time. And then he turns. It says he turns to the body. He turns to the Lord in kneeling prayer, and then he turns to the body. 
And just like he did with Aeneas, he uses the name, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, kumi. There's another story, a story where Jairus had a daughter who had died and, some, and came to Jesus saying, my daughter. Jesus goes to the daughter who had died and says, Talitha, kumi. One letter difference. The ministry of Jesus through the power of the Spirit has now been transformed and transferred into Peter. And Peter is now the hands of feet in Jesus. And what happens? Tabitha opens her eyes. Just like what happened to Paul. She saw Peter, the one upon whom Jesus promised to build his church. On this rock, Peter, Petros, right? Rock. I will build my church. And then she sat up. I can only imagine how Peter felt in that moment. I don't think he felt proud. I don't think he was all puffed up. I think he just must have been filled with joy. He must have been filled with so much excitement. He has just, he has just recently healed the man who was paralyzed. Who even knows all that's happened before that that's not even written. And now this woman has been raised. So what does he do, he gives out his hand just to aid and help her, help her to rise up. And the first thing he does after that is he calls back the people he just kicked out of the room. Says he calls to all the believers and the widows. And he presents her to them alive. Imagine the rejoicing. Imagine the wonder. Imagine how astounded everyone must have been. In fact, Luke says, it became known all over Joppa and the region that many put their trust in the Lord. A couple of things to say about that word trust. In the Bible, and I think Pastor Matt even alluded to this the other day, we've got this word belief. It could be belief or faith or trust. And I think in our linguistic currency, the word trust is much more powerful than the word believe. I can believe lots of things, but it might not make any kind of demand on my life. But for me to trust something, I have to get into a place of relinquishing my control and being vulnerable and letting whatever it is I'm trusting have its way with me. It says here that many believed in the Lord. But don't think it's like, oh, many just kind of ticked off some sort of cognitive assent to the ideas about who God was. Many trusted the Lord. Many trusted the word of the Lord. Many started to go to worship. Many came to faith. Many said yes to Jesus and becoming followers of him. Secondly, again, it might be easy to think that first century folks are different than us. They're superstitious. Um... They believe that resurrections, you know, that's a possibility, sure, right, that was going to happen, of course. No, 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 just the opposite. First century people knew that dead people don't rise. They knew it very, very well. I have a family member who told me that one of the reasons they don't believe in Christianity is because it's too good to be true. To which I would reply, yes, on the surface, you're right, it is too, it's so good Right? You've heard that before, right? If, if, it's, if it's that good, it's probably too good, it's too good to be true. 
if you don't, you know, that kind of thing. We get lied to so many times in our, oh, marketing-saturated world. It's just like, I don't want to hear another promise. I don't want to hear another false communication of redemption. Well, the same was true in the first century. There's a, a website you could go to. I believe it's called um, Godspeed. But it's this short documentary of an American priest who goes to Scotland for some graduate school. And he starts working because he needs to pay for school at a local Anglican parish. Well, he goes to the parish for the first day of work. And he goes to the rector and says, where's my office? And the rector says, your office? And then he says, oh, no, excuse me, where's your office? He's like, my office? He said, listen, there is no office. Your office is the village right over there. And he's like, what? He's like, just go walk over in the village. <laughs> so this American pastor is now walking through this village, just knocking on doors, introducing himself to people, not really sure what to do. Well, he came to this one house that he'd seen, you know, the week before, whatever. He was pretty sure it was an older woman. He knocks on the door. This huge six-foot-four long red hair man in a kilt answers the door. Uh, we'll call him Andy. <laughs> He's looking up at Andy, and Andy invites this pastor in for some tea. Well, that's what you do in Scotland. They have some tea. After, the, after things are kind of done... Uh, the pastor is walking out of the house and bumps into this bookshelf and a Bible falls off, lands on the ground and opens up to the book of John. To which the pastor says to Andy, would you like to read the book of John together? And Andy replies, no. And then the pastor says, well, why don't you find a few other friends who don't want to read it and we can all meet together and just start reading through it. And he's like, well, okay. And so they start just reading through the book. And about the second or third week in one of these little Bible reading studies with uh, Andy and, and the pastor, all of a sudden Andy starts slamming the table. Where's the map? Where's the map? Show me the map. Well, you may know that many Bibles, not all of them, have maps in the back. And they'll show maps of Old Testament places and they'll show maps of what the New Testament was like and where Israel is today and all these things. It's like, here's the map. Well, what's that a big deal about? Well, all of a sudden, Andy realizes it's true. It's true. From a map. Well, the pastor inquired, what's going on there? And Andy said, I have lived in this small northern Scottish village my whole life. You can see the edge of it all the way around. There are only, you know, hundreds of people here. This whole time, I thought that this whole Jesus thing was like a traveling dog and pony show. Where Jesus would swoop into a place and then swoop out to another place and do all of these amazing magical things. But all of it was just a show. But I see in this map that this area is just the same size of where I live. And everybody knows that a falsehood, a fake, would be driven out of the town, would be driven out of the region immediately if they weren't the real thing. This has to be true. And that's what happened there. 
They knew that Tabitha was dead. But somehow, by the power of God, she was raised. Show me the map. So Peter stays with the tanner in Joppa, the tanner named Simon, which is the beginning of chapter 10. Too good to be true? Perhaps. But true, nonetheless. Let us pray. Jesus, your teachings are so powerful. These stories at times from our perspective looking in the 21st century seem over the top. But Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. Jesus, help us to, like, Pe like Peter, to kneel, to pray, and then to turn to the places that you're leading us for your kingdom to break through. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.